the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we're going to be discussing the deeper meaning. That's actually the name of a new book come out by Rabbi Uri Kestenbaum. And an analysis of, well, why do some things happen and some things don't? And we're actually, I'm going to focus on questions just in and of themselves. The portion of the week is the portion of Teruma. We're not doing Bible story anymore. If you're, uh, but don't be disappointed because this is where we talk about the sanctuary in the desert with all the ins and outs. It's like really very fascinating stuff. We have an awesome Hasidic story at the end of the hour. Don't even think about changing stations. And before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> The Israeli security agency arrested three Palestinians from East Jerusalem recruited by al-Qaeda in Gaza who were preparing to blow up the Jerusalem Convention Center, a bus traveling from Jerusalem, and the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv. This is real credible stuff here. The plan was to use al-Qaeda operatives posing as Russian tourists. Israel killed two Gaza gunmen in an airstrike, blaming one of them for firing rockets across the border during former Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon's funeral last week. The IDF found a large amount of guns, ammunition, and bomb material in a Palestinian village near Jerusalem. What makes this find unique is that the weapons were found in secret rooms in private residences, fake closets, and under floorboards. Canadian Prime Minister visited Israel this week. Along with his 200-person contingent were 12 Canadian rabbis. Addressing the Knesset, Mr. Harper said, 
that Canadian, that Canada and Israel are the greatest of friends and the most natural of allies. The Prime Minister was heckled by Arab MKs when he said that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state and it's absolute and not negotiable. An Arab man was shot and seriously wounded by border police near Hebron. The man ran towards the checkpoint and was ordered to stop. When he did not, he was shot in the stomach. He was taken to Shari Tzedekin Hospital in stable condition. Three rockets were fired from Gaza towards the Eshkel region. Two rockets were fired at Elat. Rockets attackers from Gaza have in, rocket attacks from Gaza have increased in recent days, and the Israeli Air Force struck back as it blew up terrorist sites in Hamas-controlled regions. Dovber Glickman, a religious Jew from the city of Kiev, was attacked while on his way home from synagogue Friday night. Glickman managed to return to the synagogue where he lost consciousness. He's expected to be okay. Kiev has seen a rash of anti-Semitic attacks in the last three weeks. I apologize for my French pronunciation because I never took France, but I'm so assuming they would say this Glitani, France, exonerate. This is the worst part of the story. But anyway, this is it's nothing compared to what the story is. This city, this village, Glitani, France, exonerated Raphael Levy for the wrongful conviction, conviction in 1670, that's the year, for the ritual murder of a Christian child. Levy, a simple merchant, was found guilty and burnt at the stake. They put up a little plaque on the wall someplace saying there was, that he was not the guy who did it. And finally, the International Football Association, known as Soccer, is suspending French football, meaning a soccer player, Nicolas Anelka, for making the Canela gesture, an upside-down Nazi salute, after he scored a goal against West Ham United. The ban, be, the ban could be for five games or longer, and that's the news. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music, and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program, when you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Hey, Shulfenman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We are on live with Rabbi Uri Kestenbaum, an author of the book, The Deeper Meaning, Discovering the Depths in Everyday Concepts. How are you today, Rabbi Kestenbaum? Good, thank God. How's it going? Thank God. Thank God. Things are doing really, really well over here. So you've had this book called The Deeper Meaning, which answers lots of questions. This was the premise of the book. Before I do anything else, I want to talk about asking questions. This may sound very, very simplistic about the idea of asking questions. I'll tell you why I want to talk about asking questions. Is A question came up in one of the classes I was teaching about something having to do with Christianity. Mm. And I said, I don't know, that's not my expertise. 
So one of the participants in the class was in a place where there was a Christian cleric, and he posed the question to that person. And the response that he received from the cleric was, that's not my question. I don't have that question. If you have that question, then it's for you to... But I don't have that question, which totally and completely baffled him, baffled me, because isn't a question a question? So let's talk about the idea of Judaism and questions, uh, Ori Kestenbaum. Yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. I, I think Albert Einstein once said that um, if you want to get a solution, 95% of it is to focus on understanding the problem, and 5% is thinking about the solution. So the more questions you ask, you know, if you pull away that those levels of superficiality and get to the bottom of issues, then five percent is left there to think of the solution. Okay, okay. So we had a couple of weeks ago we were reading in the in the Torah portion about the giving of the Torah at Sinai. The Jews, when they asked, "Do you want the Torah?" use the expression "nasiv and nishma." We'll do it. We'll take the Torah. Whatever you want, God. We'll we'll just we'll just do it. And then second to that was. The nishma, but we want to understand it too. So it still seems, though, that the idea of just doing things dogmatically does have a place in Judaism. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I think ultimately, you want to invest yourself in anything. You got to really understand why you're doing it. And the more questions you ask, the clearer things get. And then you could really believe in what you're doing if you're just doing it without any, uh, just following it with blind belief. You know, it doesn't mean that all, much, all that much to you. It's more like routine. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So now this book, The Deeper Meaning, which is published by Manucha Press, I believe, Manucha Publishing. Yeah. Uh, it says on the back Targum, which is actually a division of Manucha or one of the, yeah. somebody's somebody there. So <clears throat> there's things that seem to have been bothering you. Um did you sort of like one day wake up and say, you know, I'm, I'm really bothered by this thing that people don't, people think about. <laughs> you know, it's just, it just happens yeah. all the time and nobody ever discusses it. There are certain <laughs> things like that. It's just like we do them all the time. We never think about them and no one ever questions them. And uh, so, so how did we come up with, with these, uh, with this idea then, Uri? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, on Hanukkah, I was learning the Menorah and I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I probably should be thinking about something now as I'm lighting the menorah. And I think that maybe a lot of people share that with me, that our experiences tend to stay shallow because, I don't know, maybe we just never took the time to think about different issues and, and sort of we, we go on auto, auto cruise and we just sort of coast along. I think there's a lot of our Jewish experiences can be upgraded if we uh, think about it beforehand and think, hey, maybe maybe – I should I should get to the bottom of what this is about that I'm that I'm doing, and then our experiences will be so much more uplifting. Uh, but that doesn't supersede the idea of I'm not going to go find out what it's about first and then go do it. I still have to do it. That's true, uh, absolutely. First and foremost is what the halacha requires. But I think that today, um, a lot of jewelry are really doing the right thing. You know, we have places where we're studying Torah and. And we have yeshivos in schools, and and I think there's a lot of great uh, return to tradition and to, and to Judaism. And in a way, we can now take that as a base and upgrade. You know, take it up a notch and take what we're already doing and and, and bring it to so much of a greater uh, height. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's indeed. what I think the book is about. Sure. You're, you're reminding me that there's this adage in the Talmud that a, a person who says, uh, a person who does the mitzvah without thinking about it is sort of has a body without a soul. Is this kind, yeah, of, like, like, kind of like what you yeah. were thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, I, I had a, a great aunt. Her name was Mrs. Edith Hochler, and she, she once said something. I'll always remember it. She said, how does a person become great? So she said, don't do extraordinary things. Uh, make ordinary things extraordinary. You take the things that you're doing anyways and put more meaning to it. Think about it more, and you become an extraordinary person that way. So you don't have to build mountains or rip down mountains. You just have to do it one step at a time. And Yeah, absolutely. And just, just do it really, really well. There's 100% of, it, of your time. So how many questions are there out there, Rick Estenbaum? <laughs> Endless. Endless. But you've, you've limited it to 14. So, yeah. so what was the criteria for this, other than the fact that maybe you're going to make this that a, is a, good question. a whole series of the deeper meanings? Like, this is the deeper meaning, discovering the depths of everyday concepts. The next one will be the deeper meaning, discovering something else, per se. But um, that's, that's an idea. I, I would consider phase two of a larger project to take the theory in the book and to put it into practice. Like, how can we use the deeper understanding that we've gleaned from the first book and translate that into actual action? And I'm working on that now, uh, which I would call maybe project experience or experience, Purim experience, Hanukkah experience, and to take all this theory and translate it into daily life. Okay, so let's go back to the original question. There are 14 chapters which deals 14 topics. So what was the criteria for choosing these 14? Some of them, um, to tell you the truth, I've, a couple of them I've never thought about, and they're not really pressing, and I'm not losing any sleep over some of them. Right. So I'll tell you, I think uh, a lot of them came from conversations with friends. Uh, in Yeshiva, I had a, you know, thoughtful friends who we would, you know, we'd discuss things over lunch and over breaks, and a lot of it being fleshed out in discussion translated itself onto paper and um they were things that interested me and my friends and and that's how they ended up as chapters things like human suffering things like uh why does music move us or why why do we get embarrassed by things these are all questions that came up Mm -hmm. if you're just tuning in which I should say, you know, when they do that, they should say, shame on you. You should have been tuning in already from the beginning of the show. But if you're just <laughs> tuning in, whatever, you know, honest Rahman Apache, like Hashem, Hashem understands you're late. But anyway, yeah. I'm being glib. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with author Uri Kestenbaum, who's written a book called The Deeper Meaning, Discovering the Depth in Everyday Concepts. It's published by Targum Press. And it deals with various questions in life. Some questions don't have answers. Those seem to be the uh, the big one. I can tell you a story. When I, I spent some time in Australia, and uh, the majority of the Australian community are survivors or children of survivors of the Holocaust. On the way from the airport, I was debriefed as to what to expect in Australia. And I was told, first of all, say good morning to everybody, because you're a New Yorker. People in New York don't say hello to anybody, but that's the cost. Here, you have to say good morning to everybody. And second of all, if anybody asks you about the Holocaust, don't even go there. Just say, I don't have an answer. I'm sorry because you're not going to be able to get answer the person's question anyway because this person was inside a camp. You can't answer the question. Wow. 
So, and it just happened that after spending 30 hours in a, in a, in a, uh, a shaking tin can, so I decided I need to go for a walk. And I went for a walk up the avenue, and a little old man came up to me and said, Hey, you're a new rabbi in town. I said, Yeah. And he said, My name's so-and-so. I'm a this, that, that. He wasn't interested in my introduction. He didn't care who I was. He just said, I got one question for you, Rabbi. I said, I can answer any question except one. He said, where was God in the Holocaust? And I said, I said, that's the question I can't answer. And I started to walk away from him. He got very mad at me because I wasn't engaging with him. I was just walking away. There is a question that it has an answer. We don't know what the answer is. So what am I supposed to do with a question that I can't find the answer to, Uri Kestenbaum? Wow, that's. I mean, actually, it's interesting you you chose that specific question. There is a chapter in there on on human suffering and our, our awful experiences throughout Jewish history. So that that's a that's a great and valid question. What do you do with a question you don't have an answer to? And again, I, I would say that it's really important to understand what's bothering us. If you have just uh, this this thing on your shoulder that's bothering you and and you you don't know how to shake it off, if you clarify what specifically it is that's bothering you. There's an easier way of objectifying it, and and understanding it will help you work through it and process it. I'll elaborate on that more, please, if you don't, please, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, let's, let's take the Holocaust, for example. So if you, if, if you think that uh, God is, is, is guilty and, and where was he during the Holocaust, that's, that's based on a whole bunch of beliefs. First of all, that there is a God. Second of all, that the God you believe in is supposed to be fair and supposed to be kind. Third of all, the Holocaust doesn't translate to God being just and kind. So there's a whole set of beliefs that causes the question. So when you define the question step by step, then you can start to understand more clearly where there's a gap between your knowledge and, and the problem. Like, okay, so maybe I should redefine what does just mean, or maybe I, I should redefine my understanding of God. And it can cause you to, to look and research in other places to find an answer that will help you. Because, does that make sense? Yes, it does very much. Because there are survivors who don't have the answer, and are there, it says um, some very incredible people, that they, they say that their belief in God is stronger and because it's been tested by having gone through that experience. Wow. So. Yeah. It's very hard to talk about, uh, you know, people who have gone through nightmarish experiences. It's great to talk about theory and to talk about um, upgrading experiences, but when it comes to things like that, I think I, I really have no place talking about it to people like that. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's one of those things that just it it, it doesn't have an answer. So um, you you write extensively. One of the bigger chapters you have here is about our freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. There, there are all types of theories about free choice versus determinism. There's, there's soft determinism and there's hard determinism. I know all this because I taught a philosophy course at one of the colleges over here, and uh, that's a that's a, a whole other story in and of itself. I just read the chapter before the students did. Anyway, okay. but the uh, and then there's this we we have we're we're told that we have free choice, but there's there's problems with that because there's also predeterminism. So how are we going to rectify various different conundrums that may come up as my freedom of choice clashes with divine providence, Eric Kestenbaum? 
Well, I, I think the first thing uh, to understand about free will is that you know you take a, a teenager who doesn't enjoy authority, right? Lashes out against authority. I want to be free. I want to be my own. I want to make my own decisions. And, and interestingly enough, the, the very idea of being free actually gives you more responsibility because now you can't blame your your choices on any on anyone else. So. It's a, it's there's a flip side of freedom that you are totally responsible for what you do. So I think that when we talk about determinism and free will, the determinism part is God's plan in the world. And maybe he has a plan for this country and, and, and the larger groupings of uh, humanity and nudges them in different directions. But us as individuals, we have this responsibility for our choices. Or, you know, our choices define us. We become different people through our choices, and free will is ultimately about our independent lives. In other words, we shouldn't be looking for an excuse and blaming it on somebody else, like God, for yeah. what happened. Yeah. You know, it, it did. I used to work in, in uh, doing prison chaplaincy and trying to explain this whole business over here. And one of the inmates asked me, he says, you know, let's say it was predetermined that I was going to be president of the United States. Now, I, yeah. to my own choice, I committed a felony which now a felon, a convicted felon, even after they get out, cannot be president of the United States. That's one of the rules. So it says, now what happens? So how are you going to rectify that? And I, my answer was, I just kind of shrugged and said, I guess it was never predetermined that you're going to be president of the United States. Yeah. It's true. I mean, we're handed uh, our set of abilities. We're handed our specific set of circumstances, our families, the friends we grew up with, and are ultimately, when we're handed that, we have to do the best we can, and we're going to be held accountable for that. We're not, we don't have to be the president of the United States. We have to be who we are, and we have to excel at that. That's, that's actually very poignant. You don't have to be what you're not, but you do have to be as best as what you really are. Yeah. That's, that's a great well, One ahead. of the things that I, I write about over there is about you know, a, a, the fact that a butterfly goes from this caterpillar into something that can fly, and, and that's ultimately what we're supposed to do with our, our lives. Take whatever we are, however we're grounded, and find the wings to, to let ourselves free and, and, and grow into that butterfly. Mm-hmm. Indeed. We should all become butterflies. <laughs> okay. Now, um, in, in looking at, at the, the, the topics... Um, the one that really stands out more, because most of these are somewhat, um, not somewhat, but very theological. But then comes the question of blushing. What was, what was uh, before you answer, what was bothering you when you or came up with this question? It's like, well, why do people blush? Okay, so it's not really specifically the blush aspect. It's a deeper question, and I'll, I'll preface it with a story. I probably shouldn't say this on air, but I was once caught cheating on a test. Oh, and, my. Yeah, awful. Can you imagine? And I felt awfully embarrassed. It was terrible. And what's interesting got me thinking that, well, why am I not embarrassed on my own? Why am I only embarrassed when it got you know, revealed, when people, when people found out about it? That, that was really the question about it. And your first uh, reaction to being embarrassed is that sudden rush of blood to your face, and you just feel awful, and it, it can totally impact your your whole life and make you review how you've been, have, been, been behaving. And uh, that's that's where I came from. The 
my my experience on cheating and getting caught made me rethink the idea of getting embarrassed as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of with what it says in the Gemara about Yehuda ben Zaki blessing his students. Do you know that story? Yeah, yeah. So if, if you please, if you could tell it, please, uh, Uri Kestemo. Yeah, yeah. His piece of advice to his students was, you should be afraid of God as much as you are afraid of getting caught by other people. And his students asked them, well, shouldn't you be more afraid of God than humans, flesh, you know, flesh and blood? And he said, if you have that, you're okay. If only we would have the amount of fear of, uh, of God as, as we are of, our, of getting caught by other people. That's, that's the ideal over here. Right. When someone's looking, you don't do anything, you know. So, exactly. Uh, indeed, indeed. So the um, <clears throat> um, what what about a personal relationship with God? I mean, this is a f- question that has been bothering philosophers and theologians as long as there have been philosophers and theologians, and many of the world's great religions and philosophies came up with a conclusion that this infinite infinite entity that we happen to refer to as God, you can't have a personal relationship with because it's just too bad. You can't hug God because you can't get your arms around him. But Judaism's not like that, correct, Uri? Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's, it's such a great point. And uh, the, the way I, I worded that specifically in the book is, um, how are you supposed to create an attachment to someone that's invisible, <laughs> right? So I, I think the answer to that is, God's not invisible. Uh, the, the actions of God are his body. You look at the whole world. These are all things that God created. And if you look at every tree and every leaf and everything that he gives you as another presence of God, as another uh, proof of his existence, and you start to look at the world as this is God. You point to that. That's God. This is God. And, and you start seeing him in this closer way. And after that, you you start talking and saying, you know, you're driving down the highway. God, could you help me out with the traffic? God, could you help me out on taking a test today? And when it becomes the small things in life that everything you see as this is God as well, and this is God as well, then it it does really become up and close and personal. Uh, I think, you know, in Shema, when when you say Shema every day, there's this part where we say, really quietly. And to me, what that means is it's almost like you're whispering to Hashem, like you're right there, that you're right here, and I'm talking to you, and I'm whispering to you, and there's this really close and personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Indeed. That's fascinating. That's going to do it for us. Our guest has been Rabbi Uri Kestenbaum, who's written a book called The Deeper Meaning, Discovering the Depth in Everyday Concepts, published by Targum Press, available wherever fine Jewish books are sold, and on various internet sites where one can procure said books. And thank you so much, and keep a surprise for the sequels that come out, Rabbi Kestenbaum. Okay, no problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Do you or someone you know have an addiction to opiates? Ready to take your life back but don't have the time for a long inpatient program? MDS Drug Detox is a team of physicians with extensive experience in the field of rapid drug detox under anesthesia. MDS is the nation's only rapid opiate detox under anesthesia facility with the same doctors, RNs, and certified paramedics attending the entire drug detox process. MDS Drug Detox is safe and effective. 
Their goal is to provide the best, the safest, and the most economical way to free you from your addiction. MDS uses the highest standards of care and the best FDA-approved medications. MDS Drug Detox understands what your concerns are. Make the call today, 888-637-6968, or go online to www.mdsdrugdetox.com. That's 888-637-6968, MDS Drug Detox. Herschel Fundman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. Before we get to the music, i got to tell a story um, related to what we were just talking about, this idea of choosing to believe in God or not. When I had, I was in a high school that was um, 2,800 students, and it was impossible to be friends with everybody because, quite frankly, I wouldn't want to be friends with most of those people. Anyway, but that's besides the point. So I had my, my close circle of friends was about 50 kids. We were all of a like manner. Cam, comes the summertime, came the summertime, and they went off to do whatever they were going to do. Uh, I had to go to work. So I went to work, and I got this really great job doing physical physical labor, and it was really cool, and I paid money. And uh, I came back after my, uh, for the beginning of the junior year, and I really, for the summer weeks, I really had no contact with any of my friends because they're all out and about, whoever knows where. And suddenly it became like vegetarian. You had to be a vegetarian because you were now cool if you were a vegetarian. And you were super cool if you were an atheist and a vegetarian. So I'm just like, I'm just like, wait, 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 T.O. There is no way I'm going to be a vegetarian. I mean, till this day, you could wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, give me a burger. I would eat it and go back to sleep. No problem. And back then, my mother, of blessed memory, made these hamburgers you could kill for it. They were just, just beyond description. I can't, my mouth is watering. Here it is Sunday morning, and I'm just like thinking about, you know, forget, this is no way I'm giving that up. Sorry. And then, so what about being an atheist? I said, I can't become an atheist. I'm a hitchhiker. Back then, I didn't ever ask, I never asked my mother for a ride. All I did was I go out to the corner, I would stick out my thumb, and I would get a ride. That's what people did back in the early 70s. Was I afraid that some crazy person was going to uh, pick me up and do horrible things to me? Never entered my mind. Were the people picking me up thinking that I was some kind of a crazy, warped, you know, chainsaw massacrist? Never entered their mind. Listen, times change. It once happened. I was, it was in November. And I was standing trying to get a ride. And it was... A cold, windy, dreary, icy rain. And the pieces of ice that were falling were the size of splinters. And I happened to be facing right into the wind. And I was standing, I don't know how long I was standing there. To me, it felt like an eternity. It could have been 30 seconds. It was already too much. And I just said, please, God, send anything. Not two minutes went by. And a garbage truck picked me up. And he asked me, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I'll go as far away here, but you can drive me. I says, nah. He said, I'll take you wherever you want to go. And again, he went out of his way and he took me. And it was at that point 
that not only did I know that God, there is a God, but God has a sense of humor too. That's the story. But now, for a little music, this coming up for you. This is Kol Yisroel Arevim from the Hask 2013 uh, concert. Hask is uh, an organization that helps and benefits children with special needs. And Kol Yisroel Arevim, all Jews are responsible for one another. This is their theme song for the concert. So why don't we just listen in?
standards of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfinman here. We're having a lovely time. It's cold outside, but it's really warm inside. Let's make it a little hotter. This is the Israeli artist known as Sadok. That's his name. His mother named him. And this is Av HaRachamim, our father, merciful father.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Fitton here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We got, that song was actually pretty heavy. So just to loosen things up, lighten things up, I like to keep things light. This is the immortal Mickey Katz mit a gehackte Mambo. This is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. 
While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Hey, Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Teruma. It is found in chapter 26 and following, 25 and following, in the book of Exodus. It describes the required items and the architectural design of the portable sanctuary which the Jews carried around with them through the desert. Now, this sanctuary was actually a sort of like a consolation prize. After the sin of the golden calf, which doesn't happen in the Bible for another two weeks, and in Torah until another two weeks, God still wants to wanted to make wants to make a a, a relationship with the Jewish people, and so He describes the beginning of the portion: "Make for me a sanctuary that I be able to dwell among you." In the desert and in Israel, up until the year 70, there was a physical structure where people could go and commune with God. So there were so many miracles, they didn't even bother writing them down. It was a normal thing. You woke up one day, nothing to do, grab a sheep, go up to the Temple Mount, stand there, watch the miracles all day. Yeah, no problem. No one would bother you. It was like... The miracles were so commonplace. It was like, okay, you go to, it was like expected. You go to the temple, let's go see miracles. Let's get back to the structure. The structure itself was made of beams, very tall, probably about 18 feet high beams that were, they were made out of cedar wood, very dense wood that was a foot and a half thick by foot and a half wide. So it's 18 feet high, foot and a half thick, foot and a half wide. And it was rested, and it, they rested on silver sockets. You have these beams. At the bottom of the beams, there was sort of like a groove where it was cut up in, in, at the bottom of the beam. And then there were these canisters whereby the sockets were the, the which were acted as sockets they're called sockets whereby the beams were placed and then that allowed the boards to be able to stand aside from the fact that if you tried to do this in real life it wouldn't work because and they they actually had problems during the times of dedication they when they when the Jews tried to put this thing together they couldn't it just fell down Moses had to come and show them how to do it miraculously it says the beams of the sanctuary were solid on a solid foundation. That that sort of like goes without saying that when you're making a dwelling place for God, that the foundation has to be solid, the support walls of which everything is resting has to be solid. Now in the sanctuary, they were specifically made out of the the, the base was made out of Silver. Silver in Hebrew is called kesef. 
It's related to the Hebrew word nachsafta, which means to long for. In fact, in Hebrew, the definition describes what the thing is. So here, the word for money is related to the word for longing for because everybody longs for money. That's just, you know, that's the way that it goes. But it says, what is this, what is the base of our sanctuary? You have to want it. The relationship that we make with God is a relationship that we make. Okay, initially, before the golden calf, things were like great. We'd wake up in the morning, hello God, how are you? What's up for today? And God would tell us, and it was like, everything's great. Golden calf, God says, I'm out of here, please. You guys stunk up the joint. Translation is my own. And the Almighty says, nah, I still want to have a relationship with you. But it's all totally, completely upon our wanting to have a relationship with God. And so the very bottom, the, the lowest common denominator, the bottom line, the baseline of our service to God is a longing. It's a desire. I want to have this personal relationship with God. I asked the question of Rabbi Kestenbaum, but in Judaism, it's such a duh. It's like, it is so obvious that of course you can wrap your arms around God. God is hugging you when you're hugging God. That's, that's, it doesn't even need to be talked about. It's like, of course, hello. That's the very beginning. What's the support? What's the 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 the, the me the motive by which the the whole structure of our relationship with God is being held together? Or with wooden these wooden beams. And the wooden beams were made specifically out of a wood called shittim, a certain type of cedar. There are many many species of cedar that range from the bendable to the impervious. And they're all called cedar. It depends on what kind of needle it has, as opposed to a leaf, because they don't have leaves, they have needles. This was one of the stronger, denser materials. When we're supporting our relationship with God, it has to be impervious to what's around us. It was called sheeting wood specifically, because of all the nonsense, which is also related to the word shittim, same word, that's out there. It's not that our beams are made out of nonsense. No, on the contrary. The beams of our sanctuary, the support work of our sanctuary, is made of such that the nonsense that's going around in the world just doesn't affect us. We put up those, those force field energy shields so you could even call it matter antimatter if you really want to get geeky about it. Because it doesn't matter, it's antimatter. It's 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 a spirituality. It's realizing that the pleasures of the world aren't going to get you there. A person who has stuff wants more stuff. It's this relationship and putting foremost that what do I want more than anything else? is to have this relationship with God. That's our sanctuary. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back 
You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for The Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. The Art Studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park is something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? RabbiFinman.com. It's the end of January. I'm not even close to having paid for the month of January. Before we talk about anything else, you can go to Rabbi Finman, of course. You can hear the show again. You can hear the last five shows. You can hear all of the you can the video presentations of the portion and insights, insights into the week. Read my e-parsha. And you can go to the donations page. We need your help. This is, this is probably the emptiest it's ever been on the course of a month. I've gotten all the way. Here it is, the 20-somethingth of January. And I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't think it was going to be this tough. So if you've given, actually somebody gave twice this week. That was uh, twice this month. That was very, very nice of you. I appreciate it. But some of you haven't given at all, and we definitely need your help. This is a listener-supported show. We have some commercials. They do help a bit. But go to RabbiFinman.com. Go to the donations. Donate now. Simple as that. You'll be happy you did. And I don't have to say any more because I really want to get to this story. This story, this last week, Thursday, was the anniversary of the passing of the Rebetzin Chayamushka, the wife of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So there was a certain, there's a certain synagogue in Queens, which is known as the Chabad Russian Center. I bet you can guess it's in Queens. It's run by Chabad, and it's for Russians. There was a couple there that, after a long period of time, did not have any children, and then finally they had twins. So they invited the rabbi to have the big honor of holding the baby during the time of the bris, the circumcision. But it's customary to, to spread the wealth, you might say. And they asked, who should we have for the second boy? And they chose, the, the rabbi suggested one of the main supporters of the synagogue was a Jew by the name of Amichai Liani, who was not a Russian. And he gave him this big honor, and everything was cool. And the rabbi, the, the, they did the thing, they everybody have a meal afterwards. Uh, the, this Mr. Liani wrote out a check, gave him, I mean, everything's very nice, everything's cool, he's about to walk out. And his, the mother stopped him and said, I have to tell you a story. It says, we came from to America from Russia via Israel. We just, we didn't like Israel. We came to America 
And we decided that we're not going to have children until we have enough money and we are settled down. And so we've bought a house here in Queens and we have a nice job. And then finally we decided, okay, time to have kids. And couldn't have any kids. My husband found this rabbi, met ran into him, and decided that he invited him to come to synagogue. So this bothered me because this is archaic, this is ancient, this is fairy tales. But he started going more and more, and it bothered me more and more. So at one point I told him, "You, I'm giving you an ultimatum. It's either me or the synagogue. He stayed home. That night I had a dream. This is with a woman talking. And she says, I saw this little lady. She comes to me and says that if you want to have kids, allow your husband to go to synagogue. If you want to have two children, go with him. So I said to him, I said to this woman, how, how am I supposed to know? And how am I supposed to let you know? And he says, it's very clear. She says, you'll go to this in this address in Queens, and there you'll see a house. And you go through the house to the back of the house, you'll see a courtyard. And there'll be tables there, and there'll be a place to get a cup of tea. Go through that to the back door. And then you'll see a structure. Past the structure, right across from it, there's a grave. That's how you can let me know. So she woke up. This is like the weirdest dream she ever had. But she decided, okay, I'm going to go to synagogue. And she went to synagogue. She actually liked it. She's still, still, still her talking. And she decided that she has to go to this woman. So he asked the rabbi, how do I get there? He gave directions. She walked through, and she saw this is the grave of the Rebbe Chaim Mushka. She said, these twins are the twins that I had after that dream. We've been coming ever since. That's the week. That's the, that's the show. We did it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you again and back again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.